welcome to Life and Inside Job. I'm Kate. And in this episode, I talk about how to manage low energy with photographer, writer and podcaster Naomi Wadis, as well as creating. Naomi is also a carer for her mum and has a chronic invisible disability. Adding menopause to the mix and energy has become an even more precious commodity. So I was curious to know how the hell she does it. How does she manage her days? And interestingly, we were both quite tired and sleepy when we recorded this, which, though we can't remember the name of Kay Tempest's book, it's On Connection, by the way, and if you're interested in the interior life, the inside world, then you should really read it. It's brilliant. I, I think this sleepiness, I think, gives the interview a kind of cosy, intimate feel. It's a bit like a slumber party. Well, see what you think. Naomi says that the aim of her work is to be clear, compassionate and honest. And I think this really shines through in our time together. If you ever experience low energy, or rather when you experience low energy, this conversation will give you ideas about how to live a full creative life with low energy, embracing it rather than waiting until you're full of beans to do anything. So, Naomi, I'm really curious how you manage your energy. It's a hot topic. Um, Quite often terribly, Mm. but my energy management has got... um, has been has become more complex since getting Lyme disease 10 years ago and going through the menopause Mm -hmm. but I think it's got more complex I think it was always quite rubbish and I think I always lived on my nerves but I've had like two major embodied experiences of what it's like to have low energy and low stamina and how to manage that. And I think, it's funny enough, my acupuncture, my acupuncturist was talking um, about, you know, kidney energy. I'm not really going to go into Chinese medicine because I don't know anything about it, even though I have loads of it. But I know with me and the way he described it is a sort of sort of fiery energy with not having anything base to it, not having any sort of yin grounded stuff. And I think when I was younger, I got away with it because I was younger. Um, and I didn't realise because we don't have any education about energy and we have and we don't have any education about energy and we don't have any education about different sorts of energies that happen in the body so that you can be wired and tired at the same time and I think the you know my journey with my cycle and my menopause is the one thing that has finally taught me about changing energies in the body and I think I'm a bit cross that I didn't know beforehand because I feel that if I'd known a bit more beforehand, it's not that I wouldn't have got Lyme, but I think my body might have been more prepared for a pathogen to enter it. But I think I was already 
living in this sort of wild way without realising, because that's congratulated so thoroughly. Mm. So my thing about energy management is learning about all the things I've just mentioned. And I think it's also about facing the fact that even if I don't get where I want to get, whatever that means, I have an inner critic, which is always, like all inner critics, their job is to say, I'm not doing enough. Do you think this is good enough? It's not good enough. And the only way it's going to be good enough, it's not that it's got to be better, it's got to be more. But I'm not going to tell you when more finishes, because whatever it is, you design a whole new planet and it's full of people who love each other and there's no ecological crisis and there's no hatred. It's not enough. You've got to do more. So, yeah, that's what my energy management has really um, acquainted me with, this voice inside me that says never enough. And the other big lesson I think I've learned is when I'm most stuck into um, I'm not doing enough, I should do more, is when I'm most exhausted and when I should do less. So when I feel that I'm not doing enough and I'm doing something wrong is actually a sign for me to stop because I've got caught into that sort of hamster wheel narrative of achieving and not listening to my body, my soul, my spirit, the spirit, anything. So yeah, that's my take on energy management so far. I still don't know how to do it, but I know that I don't know how to do it now. So that's my big step forward. I I think that you show you're very astute because you said, when I hear that voice that says it's not enough, that's when you know. It took a while. It's taken therapy, good friends, even things like, um, do you know Mara Glatzel? I know her. Th- she's worth following. She's got a podcast as well called Needy because it's about we have needs. It's perfectly okay to have needs. But she's very, very good about uh, women, especially um, not taking the rest and uh, marginalizing their own self care. So I think through reading a lot of her stuff, and she's quite, she often talks about her own experience um, with bringing up her children and her visions for work and what can be done. So people like that have helped me because I think there's more of a uh, a language around that and also not being well, things like the spoon theory, which is, uh, it's a, it's really a method of communication. Because uh, you don't really know how many spoons you have in terms of energy at the beginning of the day. You think you've got a whole drawer and then you find out by 11 o'clock you've got two. Or you think you've only got two and then you can keep on going all day and you've got a huge cutlery drawer and you've got some to spare. So it's more about managing oneself roughly and being able to communicate to others. I haven't got enough spoons. There's a quantity of energy, but it doesn't fully describe different qualities and also I think a thing I did learn and then I forgot and then I had to remember about 30 years later uh, or perhaps not that long is the idea of blocked energy the difference between blocked and low energy and I remember 
I used to have started again, but I used to do a lot of Iyengar yoga. And my teacher was very good. And I'd go there like after a day's work, feeling like oh, I haven't got any energy. I'm really exhausted. I just want to do forward bends and get as many bolsters around me as humanly possible. And then we'd do something and I'd be all resistant. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, it's because I've been sitting down at my desk all day and that stuck in me. And suddenly we'd be doing stuff and back arches and warrior and I'd be like, hey! And realising that in an embodied sense. And that also, I think, I find is true for me emotionally, that I'll feel very low and very put upon, but it's actually because I'm sitting on my feelings. And that can be very exhausting especially as an extrovert having an introverted sense of my feelings it's not good I'm sorry everybody but they just have to get out there <laughs> mm. and and through all that how does that how does your your varying energy low levels how does that affect your creative life um I think I sort of sometimes very consciously, sometimes more instinctively do things where I'm going to use, please forgive me for using this word, but it's the word I need to use. I, I create content with less effort. So the things I do are small, you know, so photography is great because it's like 125th of a second and digital photography is a lovely medium because you have an image straight away and you can play with that and then you can work on longer form projects but you can have a, you can make something and have an image to work with and communicate with and explore quite quickly so photography is um I mean I love photography anyway but it's a good medium uh, for me when I'm tired because I can do everything from using a camera to using my phone and I can keep my I am awake and I think in terms of my own podcast it's quite like this it's conversational based so and I find chatting to people quite energizing mm. you know and I find it, it it wakes me up so it's not like a huge concept where there's different sounds and we interview somebody here and then there's research here it's just it's about researching the person and communicating so my life experience feeds into that and in terms of my writing which I'm getting back into you know a bit of fiction which is short and poetry which is short but it needs honing so I can dip in and dip out but I think they're all forms that I love anyway. Um, and I'm never, I can say now, I will never write a novel. That's one thing I'm sure of. Novels are great. I prefer short fiction. And um, I don't think I've got the stamina. So I think with my creativity, I sort of have a rule, rule sounds sort of a guidance I have for myself that if my muse calls, i.e. if I'm sitting somewhere, even if in the living room, and there's a cast of light on something, or, you know, that mess looks interesting, I have to pick up my camera or my phone. Otherwise, she will go off in a sulk saying, I gave you this gift, I'll give it to somebody else if you don't want it. So I have that as a sort of um, a go-to, really, 
to keep myself going. And also, uh, I think, like, if I have lower energy, I still want to do something. And also, I have to remember that part of my creativity, the idea that it's always taking photographs, always making, um, you know, it can be watch, watching Paddington too and seeing the joy of story unravel or looking at something, watching film noir, because the lighting's always great, obviously. It's if I was noir. really smart, I would be able to quote something from Kay Tempest about this. She, I was reading, I'm reading her book. Like, oh, I don't even remember what it's called, but it's, it was published recently anyway. Yeah. And it's, she, she, she defines creativity in the most beautiful way as, and like, all right, <laughs> my, my head is a swamp. And I remembered her name, which was, I remember their not, name. It's I not remember she, their name. Their name. She, yeah, she's I remember their name. She, it's they, their name. Um, but that's as far as it goes. <laughs> I, I don't remember the name of their book or <laughs> what she said about it, mm. what they said about it. But um, yeah, I think great definition. But it, it was it was the broadest definition of something like enjoying that, the unfolding. Yeah, because I have a feeling I read that and I thought, oh, this is a really good quote. <laughs> I should remember it. I did perform with them once, not with them once, uh, uh, on the same lineup. And I'm not really a performer. And I sort of got through and I just think the audience were not really excited by me. And then they got on stage and immediately everybody was like, wow, because they have such presence and commitment to the craft of performing. I think that's the other thing. But I think about, yeah, I think it's like, creativity it's a tough one because i i can suffer from comparisonitis obviously because the internet is comparisonitis and it doesn't help and i think knowing through my cycle when i still had bleeds and now i don't but there's still a cycle whether it's the lunar cycle because it's a full moon today or my own cycle or a seasonal cycle or whatever, that not to be afraid of that seasonality. And it's not always making, but it's always connecting and being excited or at least being present to something or other. And that sounds quite broad, but even if it is less like a walk in the local park and looking at anything do you know whether it's the cast of light interaction between people but knowing I'm going out into the world with the sort of hunger um to find out about it and I I'm, think yeah, yeah I think that rocking rocking the the creative cycle is where it's at mm. tuning in to ourselves to slow everything down to feel into the world around us and that way we're always in the creative cycle I mean I think I think that we are always in the creative cycle it's just that we tend to get, get in our own way I'll, I'll own that I tend to get in my own way and muck, muck, muck the bloody thing up again yeah but that that even that's part of it you know because you can go through phases where you know 
things are great. I mean, if I know anybody who's like published their first book or done their first big thing, afterwards they always have a bit of a low. But I think that might just be because it's a different part of the cycle. There's been like this big sort of creative phase. And then we're sort of going into sort of like a crone energy where it's time to to come into oneself and restore. I mean, I, I'm talking like I do this all right all the time and I absolutely don't. I have times when I feel... Um, really inspired and other times where I'm absolutely stuck and I feel like an imposter and some stranger will come up to me in the street and say you don't deserve that camera and take it away from me and I go yes of course you're right I don't you know but not as bad as that but like at the moment I'm in like quite a lot of downtime because I'm trying to um, I'm doing more caring for my mother and I'm really trying to not tire myself out as much and also not just physically trying to calm my nervous system so I'm not so wired so I'm doing less which is hard you know because I'm like oh if I do less but I'll do less more thoroughly it's like no it's not about more thoroughly or not you just have to show up it's just like try and flow and not second guess and it's really hard and it's a big experiment for me like okay what have I am I always every week because I've got a terrible memory I have like a to-do list it's in my diary and then I'm like really into paper and pen and highlighter pens and there's different categories and it's like I always have to take less and less and less because I set myself up for a fall this is like part of my creative process like today I'm going to write a novel uh, make meringues I've never made meringues before and fly to the moon oh yes I might also clean the flat and give the bathroom a special extra scrub so I'll do hoovering and I feel like I failed because I haven't flown to the moon so I'm in this period which I is sort of related to my emotional I guess my spiritual physical and mental health but also to my creative health by trying to slow down and do less and I tell you it's a challenge but it can be better for me because I can feel the impacts on my nervous system and my body feels different because of it what do you notice in your nervous system and your body how do you I, know I just noticed that I'm not into in this state of like I'm not doing enough I've got to do more I'm not doing enough and that slightly wired panic feeling in myself which I often have like and then the other feeling I have in myself of overwhelmed like I'm not doing enough oh my god I'm going to book more in I should be doing this book too much in whatever it is whether it's with other people or with myself and then feel really panicky because I can't do it because I know I'm not going to be able to fly fly to the moon and make meringue on the same day it's impossible I'll leave flying to the moon till tomorrow and so by not doing those things and not overloading myself I don't get that sort of solar plexus panic where I'm like I can't do it I must I can't I must I can't I must mm. so I'm just trying to remove myself from I can't I must that that sort of dialogue I have I'm still learning. I'm a newbie, but I'm still learning. 
But it's it's a process. Yeah, exactly. I think that these our the way that were our creative trips and hiccups are set into our pattern become easier over time hopefully Mm. softer maybe a bit more spacious but it's part of who we are yeah I think it is and I think the menopause is really helpful because I don't I don't know how it happens but I you know I am a bit of a people pleaser but I think with the menopause journey I care less Mm. I still need people's approval like mad, but not to the absolute compulsive extent. And I think that recognition somewhere of always being in a process of learning, not being somewhere like, oh, I've got it right now. I've done it. I've got it right. It's it's sorted. It's like it's not that. It's learning. This is what I'm learning at the moment. I'm learning this lesson, how to have a different approach to my days and not compare myself to other people. Some days that's really good. Other days it's not so good. It's going to be like that. So, yeah, I think it is a huge education, though, to think about energy, stamina, different sorts of energy, and almost this idea, that sounds odd, of like false energy, this sort of high mania Mm. of busyness, which is like, a cultural manifestation well, of like yeah. I was, th- I was thinking it was, it's like um it's like spending on credit yeah it's, you know you have a, ca- a credit card that says oh i have ten thousand pounds let's go and spend 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 but then it's not based on any bank account or any any actual cash and then you find yourself bankrupt but that is a perfect analogy I because I know it very well. Because <laughs> I lived it, Naomi. You know it off by heart. But it is a really good analogy. And it feels like the thing about the credit card and living on credit is you can have all this stuff for nothing. Do you know what I mean? It's fine. And that thing of like, what you're going to get with the credit card is you're going to, I know often people use credit cards to get out of debt and things like that but also the part of credit cards which are consumerism you know you can have this thing outside of yourself and you'll feel better afterwards you know it's like selling your soul to the devil you know and I think that's a really good description of the that sort of manic false energy that it's fine and you 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 know there'll be no way to pay for it and I I don't mean that in a judgmental way, but I think even if one has loads of energy and is very robust, that mania part of it, that sort of high, that mentality that comes with it can be quite damaging. And I think for me personally, because it gets, it removes me from myself. That's the problem. I just... I don't have my wisdom in that place. I just have a you know, continuing sense of urgency. And like I said before, with the voice of, yeah, I have to do more. There's no end to it. And there's no luxuriating in the moment. Like, I'm going to do a little boast, but I don't care. Please um, boast. 
it's we're coming up to like the hundred episodes of our podcast and last year I did a lot more me and Alba came on board she wasn't with me originally and now she's on board and the podcast partners together and it's great and so during you know the year when we had to learn to live with this pandemic this new way of living I did lots more short podcasts and I was doing like two or three a week and editing them myself, having to learn to edit, learn to record and like all this stuff. And I thought I wasn't doing enough. And then around about October, November, I absolutely crashed because my body was like, listen, mate, it's taking the piss. And I just couldn't do anymore. And I took a rest. And then I thought, I'm going to do one a month. And I'm going to ask Alba, who's doing bits and bobs. She does one a month. So they're longer shows, an hour long, we do one each. It's fine. And it was it was great to have all the conversations and do that, and it was brilliant. But and um, I don't regret any of it because people are you know infinitely interesting. So it was wonderful to do. But the part of it was that I couldn't recognise how much I was doing. I could not recognise because I'd got caught in that that mental cycle of doing a lot doing too much isn't enough I think I think we should have boast of the day this is my sort of what so what do we do because if we if we're not recognizing how much we're doing Mm. then it has to start with us right yeah so it has to start you know we 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 both well I I know you a little bit but not that well but certainly for myself I've spent many years looking outside for validation (laughs) It's, it's an unreliable <laughs> practice. <laughs> so how about we have boast of the day and say what we actually did and be boast. pleased for the day, pleased for ourselves. Boast of the day is really lovely. The, my only thing is, like, it's not a boast because uh, yeah. because boasting is like, oh, no, be quiet, be quiet. But it's just like yeah. sort of. You know, come, it's, come up with a better name. What should we call it? Better name than boast. Let me think. Celebrations. Um, I don't like the win thing. People talk about your wins. I find that a bit. I think it is like sort of um, celebrating, enjoying. Mm. Um, what is it? You see, that's so telling that it's hard to find a word. To right. find a word to say, yeah. this is a, this is how I'm going to celebrate myself today. Yeah. Or this is going to be... Um, We're so English, we can't do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's the word? And it's like, oh, boasting. Mm. And it's like, it's not. Mm. It's like something of the day where it says, mm. it's not an achievement. It's no. not about that. It's about um, an acknowledgement. Like self-acknowledgement of the day sounds mm. really dry. But... It's like a It's like self appreciation of the day, yeah. isn't it? Appreciation of the day. Okay, okay, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need you. We can't. We can't find the word. Two writers, not enough words. Exactly, not enough words between us. <laughs> but it, it's it is something like that, which is yeah. about. Um, you know, I'm looking up here above my desk. There's a postcard, and it's uh, it's Mara Glatzel again because she has like these cards that you can use, which are about really looking, tending to your needs. And this is, I already have the permission that I seek. 
And I really Ooh. like that. That's why it's above my one. desk. And I think that idea that, you know, do we have to find a label, boast of the day, self-appreciation of the day, whatever it is, celebration of the day, or is it just a sense of either writing it or feeling it mm. and saying, I did good today. And mm. even if, and that thing um, includes days where we haven't been able to do stuff because we've got from one end of the day to the other. For myself, it would have to include uh, staring out of the window and napping and rolling around a little bit on the carpet. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine would include what have you done today, not today, like howling at the moon, being, howling at the moon. Her being pissed off my grump of the day. Like really grumpy, like with the foxes who are crapping all over my garden and like really annoyed with them. They're really cute. Grump of the day. And it's like, well, what did you do today? Well, like I was myself. You know, I was myself again. And I was how thoroughly. And it's like, even talking about it feels, I don't know if I'm resistant to it, but it's like, trying to do all this stuff without external validation. Mm. It's like, how can I do that for myself and not feel embarrassed or that it's somehow cheesy or I've failed or I've succeeded? How can I do that thing when you see somebody and like I met a friend for lunch yesterday and I said, I really like your trousers. And she said, oh, I got them online. You know, that was fine. That was the end of the exchange. But it's that thing. I like. I wanted to tell her the trousers were great. And it's like, can you do that about yourself? Like, I really like dot, dot, dot. Mm. And it doesn't mean that everything's great. It's like, I really like my hair today. But for that exchange to be, it's not just the language. It's just like the idea of gifting somebody a compliment and affirming them, not because you want to get anything back, because you want to share, and it's a genuinely heartfelt thing. How can that happen, that we can give that to ourselves, which doesn't become like a sort of gratitude list with a really blunt pencil scratching on the surface, trying to say, I'm really happy because it rained. At the end of my life. <laughs> and forcing it like a big, I'm going to use a analogy but like constipating trying to like force out gratitude rather than say sitting down on the sofa having a cup of tea saying wow I'd never knew I'd love gardeners world this much or look at that nice rose you know I mean it has to be somehow heartfelt even in the days it isn't or just like I'm gonna open this and smell this coffee you know all these things so I think yeah it but that goes on to my sort of list of list of things I am learning. You know, how can it be genuine, real, and not forced? Because I can't bear yeah. pretend positivity if it's in genuine. Because I think, what's wrong with those times when we feel emotionally overwhelmed, or we see people we love and we can't help them? How and we feel sad and frustrated and scared. You know, what's wrong with those times? Can we find those fe our feelings in those times? Can we sit there and it not be terrible to sit there? 
So, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. But, yeah, I like the idea of not both, something of the day. Yeah. But in, I, I think it could be ease. it could be Naomi Gold. You can have <laughs> Naomi Gold and I'll have Kate Gold because that's what you're saying. Yes. The capacity to be ourselves and to enjoy yeah. that and or aspects of that. That's exactly it. It's the capacity to be ourselves. I was listening. I haven't listened to it all. I'm halfway through listening to a podcast. Um, and it's a tarot, I think, an astrology podcast, but she talks about other things. And she was talking about uh, the inner child and how the inner child shows up. And our journey from birth is how we learn to self-parent. And, you know, I, I really... Um, like listening to that so I think this thing about you said about the 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 gold is about us being ourselves and what that means and it's so this is why I think language is lacking sometimes because we're having this conversation and it's real and it's great um but how do we describe our feelings with words I mean it sounds silly, but how do we describe them genuinely with words? Mm-hmm. And how do we describe um, those feelings with words to ourselves? I know we can write in a journal, this happened, that happened, and I think journaling for thousands, millions of people, including myself, is just a vital, vital tool. But how... I don't know if I'm explaining it properly. Even if we find the right words, how right are they? Can words fully describe, fully describe a sense of being? Now, I know I'm a writer and I know writers because I think obviously they can. But there's somehow a sense outside of language, outside of art, outside of photography. I don't even know if I'm talking of belief of being which is without all those things and there's like a sense of something speaking as a as a professional (laughs) please you can tell how how fully i inhabit that role (laughs) (laughs) um sometimes it is uh, uh feelings a handy way of describing feelings is through the body you know feeling the sensation as felt felt sensation in the body. And sometimes it helps to validate and make the feeling more spacious and it helps us to accept it. And sometimes describing it locks it down (laughs) and shoves it in the bin. So I think it depends. I think that's really it's true. Situa- I think it's situational, and often you don't know until you've tried. Is it is it better to to find the words? Does that make me feel fuller and more integrated, or is it going into kind of explaining, figuring it out, mental processes? I think yeah, that's a perfect way to put it because it is. It's like um, I had a friend once. He said yes, decades ago, he said words can take the feeling out of feeling, and that's the thing. But like you say, sometimes if somebody has had no opportunity to express something, the words themselves are really, really liberating. Mm. And I think that thing um, you say about, you know, the truth in the body, really. 
because I think for years um, I didn't live in my body at all and I'm just getting there um, of trying to understand my embodied experience of emotion because my tendency has always been to run into my head and it's been a really um I think it's been such a radical journey to find out that feelings exist in the body and to find out that the body has its own language and I can listen to that and even if I feel nothing or no thing in my body that's still part of the communication. Mm. You know, the I don't know, I'm not here, I feel hollow, I can't, I feel disconnected is a really reliable um, bit of feedback to where I am. And that's a great, you know, circling back to the energy, it's a, it's a great indication of our, the, how many spoons we have. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is really good. I guess what I want to talk about without sounding too terribly negative is like self-forgetting. Because mm. often when I'm in a time of either emotional or physical crisis, even though above my desk, which is like I've got a wall filled with postcards, inspiration, post-it notes, everything, and things that I should do or can do when I'm feeling off balance, I forget I forget like lying down. I forget that listening to this podcast, whatever it is, I forget what will help me a tiny bit. I forget over and over again. And I don't know, like I've got a sticker above my desk which says self-care every day, regular, easy, simple, and a little arrow and it says practice. There it is. It's above my desk. It's right there for me to see. And it's I, I, it's like I never wrote that. And that's like that's the first time I've read it, even though I'm trying to integrate this stuff in a very realistic way with the sort of slowing down, trying to calm my nervous system. But that's all okay doing my yoga and making sure I have a proper breakfast is fine. But if a crisis suddenly hits where I feel I have no control, all the yoga and green vegetables in the world will not help me at that point because mm. I just want to smoke cigarettes and, you know, sit in the park and cry and I don't want to do anything else. You know what I mean? I just, I can't find my way back to this sort of neat daily practice, which I'm trying to maintain. The way, the way I see it is that the, the, the time you put in in yoga, in class or wherever you're doing it, and the green vegetables are filling your, filling your energy banks. Mm. They're filling, your, filling you from the ground up so that you have the resilience to weather you. So we have the resilience to weather the times when our self-care practice just isn't possible. Yeah. And I, th through. I think, and also the, the thing, it's no, you can go back to that, whatever the thing is. Mm. It's there waiting for you, even if you can't do it. And I think sometimes when it comes to sort of deep pain, because I've had like a lot of depression and anxiety in my life, I have to realise that, 
even what looks like a lack of self-care is just a, a communication to the world, to myself, that I'm in pain. Mm. So it's part of language in a way. Mm. You know, that lack of self-care is a broadcast about a one's vulnerability. Yeah. And it's not always about getting it right or it being neat and tidy. I don't know how that relates to energy cycles. Um, I think it's very relevant. Do you think so? Yeah, absolutely. Because you're talking about what happens when, when the end, when there's nothing left. Yeah, it feels like there's nothing left. Yeah, yeah. And I, I no, okay, call me Pollyanna, but. You're talking about forgetting. You have also, on many occasions, remembered. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I have remembered. And I think perhaps the process is forgetting and remembering. Mm. And perhaps the process when I forget is that perhaps I remember it's a time to be unformed about it. Mm. It's a time to be chaotic. And I think that brings us back to same perimenopause and the menopause journey and what it's like to sometimes feel that you've been thrown off a cliff and you don't or you're falling down a rabbit hole or whatever image you comes to mind what it feels like when there's chaos and there's chaos around the body and there's chaos around feelings and time and pain and energy and a whole host of things what does it feel like when we feel or I felt out of control and I don't know what to do and, you know, to be in that space, I say authentically, but just to be in that space and it not be about, oh, it's okay, I'll do more yoga. I don't do that much yoga. I'm talking about like I'm a real yogi and I'm not, whatever I'll do, or I'll, I'll make sure I have more broccoli. But it's like, okay, what is it about being in this state of free form? What is it? Because it's a huge fear, you know, about not being able to control the narrative. What does it feel like feeling this raw? And what's being, to you sort of very uh, sort of common parlance, you know, what does it feel to be triggered by chaos? And what chaos, what other chaos have we lived with and dealt with? Because I do think, and I think this does tie up with the creative process, that I think the most valid work I've done is when I felt like I had no idea what to do and I've had to enter chaos. And I think that it requires courage and quite often you don't have a choice with it when the chaos happens to one. I mean, it can be loss, it can be whatever. I mean, everybody knows their personal idea of what chaos means. But I do think it's valuable. I do think it's valuable. It's... Mm. It's terribly uncomfortable, um, but I think it's really valuable. And I think, like I said about energy management and learning, you know, things like even if my energy has been low at times, either physically, mentally, emotionally, that the creative spur in me, whether I'm making or just witnessing the world and being interested in the constant state of of being in a constant state of um, inquisitiveness uh, and wanting to translate that into something else of my own making, is there nothing, nothing can dim that, nothing. 
and I had to have, you know, that idea that even though I can get caught up in these narratives about other people are doing more or better, it's like, does that matter? Does it matter? Because I've learned this lesson that whatever I do, whether I never make again or I make every day and I get win huge awards and win the next Turner Prize or just take a photo of my phone and my cat having a snooze, here I am, an artist. Nothing is going to, nothing in the world is going to prevent that from happening and prevent that from being me. But I wouldn't have got there, you're cheering, I wouldn't have got there had I not been thrown into the chaos of illness, being disabled, having chronic illness, being fatigued, the terrifying journey of menopause when, oh, it's okay, and then you don't know what the fuck is happening, um, being a carer for my mother, everything, all these things happen. I wouldn't have got there. I would have carried on with the idea that, oh, I'm going to be an artist. I'm an artist because I'm saying I'm an artist. But my spirit was yelling at me. And now that's what I've learned. And I think that is the value of, of chaos, that you learn who you are. I mean, everybody is an artist, obviously, but not everybody defines themselves as an artist. You know, we make a cup of tea, we're constantly making, we're telling stories, we're getting dressed, we're decorating our home, we're doing our gardening, we're moving in a certain way. We're all artists. But I suppose what it, that chaos has taught me is the sort of artist I am. And I want, I want to be closer. I want to be closer. I want to be closer to myself and I want to be closer to others. And I, the day-to-day really... And like talking to people, witnessing the day-to-day is where it's at. It doesn't have to be fancy. I can use like fancy metaphors about going to bars and making meringues, but I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in like how many cups of teas can I take photographs of and how many people can I talk to? Because that's where our life is. It's not somewhere fancy. It's all the day-to-day intimacy and day-to-day struggles. That absolutely absolutely shows in your work. That's what drew me to your imagery was the intimacy with the everyday. The photographs you took from your bed are just exquisite. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Because that has evolved for me. That I think the other thing that happened, because I always used to take portraits. Then when I first got Lyme, I was really ill. I was like, well, what can I do? And it's like, but, and I, everything around me, and it's not just me. I mean, I've talked to other artists and there's other artists I find really, really um, inspiring who've really helped me. Just seeing their work has been a joy. But Celine Marchbank is a friend of mine. She's an incredible photographer. Um, but this idea of the long form documentary project and it's all right to document your own life and you can be close, and all these things. And another friend of mine, uh, Natalie Teitler, who's a writer, dancer, curator, producer. But she said, you know, what about the idea of repetition? And I was like, what? And she told me I'm an Italian artist, I can't remember the name. He used to paint the same thing every day. And I remember that, and it sort of clicks in my mind, going back to my old yoga teacher, He said, if you do a practice every day, the practice remains the same, but you're different. 
so you can measure one against the other. So you can turn up and do dog pose every day and someday it's like, da, 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 how wonderful I am in dog pose and sun salutations. And other days it's a bit groany and other days it's like this, you know. And I think that thing of um, repetitions, I'm grateful to her for giving me that, that the idea of intimacy and the familiar and domestic space lies in that repetition. And are we seeing the same things the same way or differently? Because that's how we do live. We get into the same bed every night. We shit on the same toilet. I keep on talking about poo in this podcast. I'm so sorry. And um, But you know what I mean? We do the same things. We do the washing up in the same washing up bowl. Why can't we attend to that detail? Because that's how we spend our lives. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we do wonderful things in it. But that, those are important things. And we notice them when we can't do them or somebody else can't do them. Mm. You know, this whole thing like with the beginning when we first had lockdown and what we suddenly we thought of key workers, you know, people who were low paid were essential. So all these everyday things which we, um, we take for granted or marginalised, they disappear when life is really hard. So there's like an honouring of those everyday things because life can be so hard. Like if you're going through a terrible grief, even a, making a cup of tea can be almost impossible, let alone trying to drink it. So the everyday can go out of the window when you're grieving. You know, so I think it's important to, to just attend to those. And I wouldn't have had that had I not had the, the sort of gift of my body feeling different and my emotions feeling different. I wouldn't have got there. I would not have reached that place of value. So I guess when I take my head out of my own ass, sorry, we're back to poo again. No, I'll take my head out of my own ass. I can feel grateful for difficulty, but actually waking me up to things of immense value, which aren't grandiose, but are real. I, I find it hard to talk about, not that I find it hard to articulate, because I don't want to come across too, I don't want to come across as insincere. And my other thing is, is that the suspicion I always have with my own news is that if I talk too much about it, if I talk up the idea too much, it will take away from the making of the idea. Do you know what I mean? It will just become like art speak rather than real speak. And I've sort of set myself up for a fall. Sounds pretty real to me. Yeah. <laughs> At least I feel that I feel that in my heart. I feel what you're saying in my heart has been oh, truthful you. and lived, not um, and, and not a concept. That's not conceptual, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Can I have from you, please, a top tip for a wonderful inside life? A top tip in terms of what? In terms of energy or creativity or? Whatever you bloody like. I think my top tip is if you have any doubts whether you're a photographer or not, you are already a photographer. You know, you don't have to have a fancy camera. You don't even have to have a fancy phone. And just when you go out, with whatever you do, or if you stay in, whatever piece of equipment you're doing, 
all you have to do is love what you're capturing in that image. Now, when I say love, it can be the washing up. And the love I mean is that you're acquainted with it fully. It means something. So my long um, tip is like, follow what you love. So if you take photographs of your cat or your dog or your parrot, start there. If you want to take photographs of your face, start there. If you're suddenly attracted to seeing the roadworks, start there. There is nothing in this world that you can't take a photograph of. So just start there and you are already a photographer. That's my top tip. Isn't Naomi fabulous? If this has left you wanting more, then pop over to her podcast, which is called The Two of Us, which has wonderful interviews with artists and writers centred around their creativity and how that relates to their mental health and emotional well-being. There's so much to learn there. And you can find the two of us on all the usual podcast platforms and the website is in the show notes. I'd love to hear your responses to our conversation. How do you manage when your energy is low? What do you do or not do? So pop over to Instagram. I'm at Kate underscore Codrington where you can join in the conversation or if you fancy it, it would be fabulous if you felt able to share this episode, maybe with a tired friend or with your community on social media. And don't forget to join me very soon for another exciting voyage into the inside world.